Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Weaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, and Arvigo abdominal massage. And I'm also a new mama. This podcast will be part information on women's holistic health practices that I use in my practice, and part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you in part by the Rosebud Wellness Shop. You can find us over at rosebudwellness.com shop. On the shop, you'll find six different Yoni Steam herb blends for a variety of different conditions. You can read specifically about all of the ingredients that are in the herbal blends, what you would use them for, and some specifics about the days of your cycle that you would use the herbs. There's also a video for an at-home steaming guide so that you can feel confident that you know what you're doing before you embark on this journey. But if you also don't feel so comfortable just starting on your own, you can also sign up for a consult with me, which is also available at the shop. So go ahead and check out rosebudwellness.com shop. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Womb Wisdom Podcast. So just a little bit of a warning for this episode. Um... The sound quality is really bad on my end. I had been experimenting with using my phone and recording at my parents' house, and the the Wi-Fi was a little spotty, um, and the sound quality on my phone just just wasn't good without um, the microphone that I usually use. So apologies for that, Um, but it's a really interesting episode, so hopefully that makes up for the lacking sound quality. Um, In this episode, I interview Molly, and she has two children. She has a six-year-old and a a two-year-old, and we chat about kind of being able to conceive pretty easily the first time um, and then having some challenges the second time and going through IUI, IVF um, a few times and her experiences with that and how it can become kind of like a part-time job. Um, and then her experience with preterm premature rupture of membranes. Um, so she'll talk more about that in this episode. Um, and then having her child in the NICU for a period of time. So um, if you'd rather not hear about things like that, then you can just skip by this episode. Um, but other de- otherwise, please enjoy this episode with Molly. And I also wanted to mention, as I always do, uh, please use the code WOMB, W-O-M-B, at checkout over at rosebudwellness.com slash herbs if you're interested in purchasing any Yoni Steam herbs or if you're interested in a Yoni Steam consult with me. And also don't forget about the Womb Wisdom community over on Facebook. So please join us over there. I always post every episode when it's released there with a little bit about the episode and what you can expect to hear about in the episode. Um, And eventually there will be more conversation amongst the members, um, but I'm just kind of growing the community and posting the episodes for now. All right. So without further ado, please enjoy. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. I am here today with Molly, 
and she is a mama to two kiddos. She has a six-year-old and an almost two-year-old. And uh, mostly we'll be focusing on the pregnancy and birth of the two-year-old, um, which ended up in a NICU stay, and, and she'll be sharing more about that. So thank you so much for being here today, Molly. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's going to be an awesome talk. <laughs> yeah. So um, to start off, I like to talk with women about their period history, which is very much related to fertility and their overall gynecological health. Um, so if you can just share about like what your first period was like, how old you were, what the conversation was around you amongst your friends, your family in school, and how that went for you, if you had a lot of pain or any irregularities. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, I feel like it was pretty sort of standard. Um, you know, obviously we had prep work done by my mom and by health class. And so it was somewhat expected. And I feel like I got it like at clockwork, like almost exactly on my 12th birthday. Um, it was the summer between sixth, sixth and seventh grade. And, um, yeah, even though I definitely wasn't like the first around me to get my period at that age and I sort of knew it was coming. Oh, the first one was so painful. I thought I was dying that just the, it, you know, those, those first cramps, just nothing I'd ever experienced like that before. So, um, but once I got a handle on that, uh, you know, it was very, um, just kind of normal. Of course, my mom was for some reason, really, you know, I don't know, moms are kind of into that stuff. So she was all interested to hear about it. And, yeah, after that, I just sort of, I, I don't, I didn't have any, it wasn't, you know, debilitating pain every time, like needing to miss school or anything. It was pretty straightforward. It was pretty standard, you know, uh, normal cycle length and low key PMS, nothing, nothing crazy. And um, did you ever need to go on birth control for any reason? No, not related. No, nothing like that. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so how were you managing your fertility until you decided you wanted to have uh, children? Yeah, so <clears throat> uh, eventually I did go on birth control late high school, right before college, I want to say. And I feel like I kind of like joke around because I feel like I was on like every type of birth control there was at some point um, because, you know, obviously they have different formulations and, and different ways that they impact your body. And so um, I tried, I've dabbled in, in a few, uh, pills. I was on the patch and all this stuff, but it mostly, it was, it was the different pills and seeing which sort of agreed with me most. Um, and, uh, and, and then I was on that through, you know, deciding to, um, have children. I think I came off, I had him when I was 30. So I must've come off around 20, 28 and a half or 29 ish. So, um, yeah, almost a decade, a little more than a decade on, uh, before coming off. What were some of the symptoms that you had that caught would cause you to switch to a different pill? Do you remember? Yeah, there were, uh, they varied kind of, I know, I remember one of them, um, made me, the mood swings were just out of control. Uh, and I was like, this is extreme. Uh, <laughs> we need to, I need to feel a little bit more sane again. Um, so, so, you know, just the mood swings at one point, some of them, I've always had a little uh, problematic skin. So some of them were, you know, better for the mood swings, but then I would break out a lot. So kind of trying to sort of toe the line between kind of balancing everything and just seeing, basically I was trying to have 
the least symptoms, you know what I mean? Just sort of where I felt the most normal and like myself and didn't really even notice that I was taking anything. Um, and it's been so long now, of course, I can't remember any of the different ones by name, but I did eventually sort of get one that was more settled in and was more, um, you know, didn't have a big impact on my life after that. Great. And then, um, you decided to get pregnant and, um, conceived pretty easily, or was there any challenges in getting pregnant with your six-year-old? Yeah. So I went off the pill, um, and then had that, um, thing of where, which I feel like as I speak to people, it's very common, but you wouldn't really know that. I don't know. It's sort of not in the collective consciousness that sometimes when you've been on birth control, you come off and nothing happens. So I came off birth control and it was like radio silent. I didn't have a period for like over 90 days. And I had to go to my doctor and say, Hey, uh, what's going on here? Um, cause you know, they, even when telling them that I was going to come off, they were like, okay, you know, come off and then you'll get a cycle and then go ahead and start trying and whatever. So I didn't really, I don't know. I, I was like, is something wrong? Like what, what's going on? Um, and, and so they, had to um, induce a cycle medically at that point. And they were basically like, okay, call us if this happens again for 90 days, but kind of before the, before the 90 day mark, they weren't really particularly interested in it. And they were like, oh, you know, take a, basically take a pregnancy test once a week. And uh, if you're pregnant, you're pregnant. And if you're not, call us when you hit 90 days again and we'll see. Um, and I had been going on 45 days and, and was super annoyed and I was ready to call them and give them a piece of my mind about what's going on here. And my husband said, you know, they're going to, they're going to want you to do a pregnancy test because that's the first thing they're going to ask you. And I was like, I'm not doing a pregnancy test. This is ridiculous. So, so much time and money. And I did one. And of course that time I was pregnant. So um, that's how we conceived our first. <laughs> so um, yeah, a little, not that we weren't trying, but we were trying, but since nothing, you know, I was under the impression that I wasn't cycling. And so therefore no eggs were being released, but, um, that one might've been at some point an egg dropped that, that time. And, uh, we somehow caught it without knowing anything. So, um, yeah, that's how he got here. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, tell us about that pregnancy. Um, I know in the pre-chat, you kind of said it was pretty textbook, straightforward pregnancy. Yeah, it was great. I mean, of course I was nauseous. Um, but, uh, you know, aside from that, I, I really, I mean, I didn't even really have any food cravings, aversions, really any other symptoms. I was really, well, I was younger, a lot younger and, uh, you know, really in shape at the time. So I think I credit that with sort of my body being able to handle it. Um, well, you know, I was working out, I was like on the treadmill till, I don't know, it was after six months and just being active and walking. We lived in the city, so I was walking places, but, uh, yeah. And he went, um, way overdue. He was almost, <laughs> he was like 41 and a half weeks. And all my doctors were like, kept calling me and, and yelling at me to come in to get induced. And I was like, Oh, let's just, let's just give it some time. And because that cycle, you know, we really didn't, we didn't really know when I conceived, we were kind of guessing because of what, uh, happened with what talking about. Um, yeah, so you were talking about your pregnancy was pretty straightforward. Um, and then you can 
lead us into the birth. Did you end up going into labor naturally at 41 and a half weeks? Um, yeah, it was, they had once again tried to induce me, um, like wanted me to go and I didn't want to go and made a big fuss about it. And they said, okay, you know, this was Wednesday night at this point. And they were like, Friday morning, you're going to be 42 weeks and we're booking you for an induction. And you kind of don't really have a choice. Like you have to show up for this one. Um, so luckily that night, uh, in the very early morning hours of Thursday, I went into labor. So I labored at home from about 4am to 10 or 11. And by myself, I, I knew it was going to be a long day. So I didn't even wake up my husband. I was like, Oh, this is fine. I just kind of paced around and watched Will and Grace reruns. Um, but you know, I never really had that, like whatever it's supposed to be the four, one, one, or the five, one, one, where it's like five minutes apart and the, the, whatever was the prescribed thing to, you know, show up at the hospital and, and call your doctor and start making moves. I didn't really have that. And I still could talk through my contractions and all this stuff. And finally I called the doctor and they were like, yeah, you should probably come now to the hospital. So we went. Um, I didn't want to show up too early because I didn't want to sort of be stuck there and be getting potentially interventions that weren't necessarily needed. You know, I, I just wanted to do what I could by myself, um, before going to the hospital. And so, um, I did. And then by the time I got to the hospital, I was already six centimeters. Um, and I always had, had been, um, you know, of the mind that I was going to get an epidural, which looking back, I, I kind of am bummed out that I did that because I'm like, it was going so well and it was go moving somewhat, you know, at a nice clip and uh, maybe I could have, could have stuck it out. Um, but I, I did end up getting the epidural and then that kind of slowed things way down. So it's like, oh, you know, I kind of maybe should have just stayed on our natural timing. And, and I wonder if that would have made a difference. So then um, he was born um, at about eight o'clock that night. So three hours of pushing. Um, yeah, again, it was all pretty, it was all pretty standard. They, they were like, it's been a little while of you pushing. We kind of might want to do something here. And um, they did a, a little cut and he came flying out. So um, yeah, he was, and he was big, bigger than they thought he was going to be and healthy and crying and he was great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And um, what was the postpartum phase like for you? Did you choose to do nursing at all? Or um, what was your healing like? Anything you want to share about that, that early phase of his life? Yeah, um, healing, I think was, again, pretty okay. I mean, obviously, it wasn't like, you know, a super walk in the park, but it was very uh, manageable. And I felt that I had the resources to kind of deal, you know, different tricks and ways to feel a little better as, you know, physically, um, wow, and did, um, that was like particularly supportive of you if you want to, but if you don't, that's fine too. No, just like, you know, the stuff that they, I, I and, and I feel like the, maybe it was like the birthing classes that we took or the books or the, even the nurses in the hospital, but I felt that they were all really, you know, I just had a handle on, you know, like stuff to care for your vaginal area and kind of make that recovery a little better and, and, you know, the bleeding afterwards and all that stuff. And 
um, just like simple, simple things like the little squirt bottle and get, trying to get a little bit walking around and, you know, just, just, just the, all the stuff that they kind of, the basics. And, um, I guess because I had, I didn't, again, I had very manageable pain and it wasn't, even though they had to do that cut, you know, it wasn't anything extreme. So my recovery didn't really need to, it, it wasn't very involved. Um, <clears throat> So I feel like I healed physically rather well. Um, I, I always had said I was going to make an attempt at nursing. And I'm so glad that I, I thought I was going to hate it, hate it, hate it. And I was like, I'm going to try because it's good for the baby. But I feel like I will immediately <laughs> say this is not for me. And um, I was very comfortable in, in all of those decisions. But I'm really glad I decided to try because I ended up, it was kind of, I mean, <laughs> it was it was stressful. And I'm laughing because it, looking back, it was very funny. I had a, a, a way oversupply. It was that thing of like, you're going to in the doctor's office for your like postpartum checkup and like, I'm squirting milk across the doctor's office and like mortified. And, um, you know, it was my, my breasts were the size of bowling balls. It was, it was, um, so in, in that way, I don't know if maybe because I thought I wasn't going to continue that I didn't pay enough attention to maybe some of the, the teaching about, um, you know, breastfeeding and nursing and all that. Um, I do wish I would have had more support in that area. Cause it was a little, I had such an oversupply. It was kind of, you'd kind of choke and pull off and, um, but it, you know, it, and it did take us a while to figure that out. But once we did, I mean, I, then I ended up nursing him, um, at least 13 months. Um, and we had a great nursing relationship and it was, I, I loved it. I couldn't believe it. I, I, it was such a different, uh, outlook than I thought I was so, I was shocked that I, um, really enjoyed it. I just loved it for the bonding, and the closeness and something that only I could do, you know, when, when you have a new baby, kind of everyone wants to hold the baby and, and see them and play with them, which I get, but it's kind of like, okay, but for these, you know, 20 minutes, like he has to come back and be with me. And, um, you know, only I can really, really do this for him. So, um, it was really nice. Yeah. I, I, I it totally turned around from how I thought it was going to be. So I'm glad that I, I gave it a, a shot. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you gave it way more than a shot. 13 months is, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, eventually I realized, well, after the first, I mean, I really thought I was going to hate it out of the gate. So even that it had been a kind of okay for like a week or so, I was like, okay. And even though we were still having our difficulties with regulating the supply and sort of getting that to mellow out, um, I was like, I can, I can do this. It's not, it's not what I thought it was going to be. Um, so yeah, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad <laughs> I at least tried. Cause if I would have completely written it off and just been like, I'm going to hate this, we'll just skip it. Um, that I wouldn't have even had that possibility to know what I was missing. So yeah, I'm really glad that we did it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And then, um, what happened from, from there? Um, you took some time to decide to conceive again, or did you try to conceive a second child and had some trouble or how did that, how did that look for you? Yeah. So we, um, started trying, we started trying for our second one. He was a year and a half. Um, and you know, we had weaned, my cycle was back by that point. 
And um, I said, oh, let's start trying because you never know how long it's going to take. My husband wasn't thrilled, like, what if we get pregnant right away type of situation. But I was like, well, that's a risk, but you know, it'll probably take a couple of cycles. Well, it, you know, flash forward to like two years later, um, and nothing was happening. Um, nothing. It was, I cannot tell you how many snow white pregnancy tests I saw. Um, and I was cycling and I was, um, getting, you know, positive LH strips as though everything was sort of firing and normal. Um, and from, you know, at that point we kind of said, and I think about a year and a half, two year mark, we were like, we need to see what our options are because, um, this is not working. I mean, it, it was that amount of time. And, and certainly there are people who, uh, spend way longer trying, but even in that amount of time, I had people who went from not even considering having children to trying to conceiving, to delivering their children. And I'm still over here. Like, I can't even, <laughs> like nothing's going on. Um, so, so we did, um, go get fertility help at that point. Um, we tried a couple IUIs that those didn't work. And looking back, you know, the statistics really weren't, oh, I see you oh. talking. I can't hear you. Sorry. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, cool. I don't know what happened, but, um, did you do the IUIs with medication in addition to the IUI or, or just without anything? We did some with and some without. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And that worked. None, none of that worked. Um, and again, you know, before this, before you go into the IUI, they obviously do a, a workup. Um, and all of those were, you know, <laughs> all of the test results were like awesome looking. And I was like, if they do one more test and come out here and tell me it looks beautiful, I'm going to punch them one in the face because like, it's not like that might be true. And yet I'm still not pregnant. Um, and it's, uh, it's infuriating to not have, um, a reason. So, so the, our diagnosis, if you can call it, that was, um, secondary, uh, unexplained infertility, you know, unexplained is just so frustrating. It's not like, obviously there's a reason. Um, and even our second, uh, IVF doctor who was really amazing. He was like, it's, he was like, there's a reason, there's a reason you're here sitting in this chair with me. It's just, unfortunately that we don't know what that reason is. And the, you know, sort of initial battery of tests that they do might not cover something. Um, so anyway, um, we did move on to IUIs, both medicated and unmedicated. Um, and then after that, we moved into full, um, IVF, um, and we did one round of that. Um, and we ended up with two embryos and the first transfer was a chemical pregnancy, but to be honest with you, um, I couldn't believe, I mean, I, I couldn't believe after all that time, I couldn't believe I was actually seeing a positive pregnancy test. Um, and unfortunately it was a chemical. And then, you know, with only two embryos out of that whole, um, cycle, we only had one, the one left, which was, um, you know, technically not 
not the, the better looking one they tried first that, and, yeah. Uh, well, luckily for us, um, that, uh, be did become Cameron <laughs> and we didn't have to go, um, through another round of IVF. I don't know what would have happened if we would have been at that juncture of, you know, I don't know. I suspect I would have probably done, done another cycle, but, um, you know, as people who have done it, you know, can attest it's, it's extremely, I mean, I can't like really overstate how hard it is. Um, like physically, mentally time, it's literally like having a part-time job, getting to all those appointments and taking all the medicine. It's the time commitment is insane. Um, so it's, it's just not to be undertaken lightly. And I was already at my wits end and that was only after one, one full cycle of, of it. So, um, you know, there's people out there who do like six, seven cycles. Um, I, so anyway, we didn't, we did not end up in that place because luckily our, our you know, the second transfer did, uh, ultimately lead to our son, but, um, that was a very, yeah, there were some weird things going on from the beginning because um, my levels were actually really low uh, of HCG. You know, they called me, my clinic called me and they were like, you know, we're sorry, this is going to be another chemical. Um, you know, your numbers only rose by 20. I mean, they were bad. I think it was literally like 53 to 71 or something. It was, they were in the, in the tubes. And, um, they were like, you know, come off your progesterone and, and, you know, we'll have to see where we're going after this. Um, and I was like, well, you know, they went up, um, <laughs> they did go up. They, they are bad. And they went from like really, really bad to really bad, but you know, they're going up and can't I just see what happens? Um, so I stayed on the progesterone and then a couple of days later, they were like, wow, you're at like 480 something. Um, so why don't you keep going on the progesterone and, you know, come in and get a scan and we'll, we'll see what's going on. You know, we, we still don't know. Um, so we were scanned once a week for weeks, like four, five, six, maybe, um, so that they could see, cause they were not really bought in to that. This was going to be that this was going to take and nor was I, um, but I was hoping obviously. Um, and, you know, so very slowly, but surely they were like, okay, we see, you know, we've seen growth here, but you have to come back next week. So we spent, I don't know, the first probably seven or eight weeks, like sort of half pregnant. Like I think I'm pregnant, but I don't know if, if I really am, and we'll have to see and just take it week by week. And that actually ultimately sort of being, ended up being the through line of this entire pregnancy. But so then, um, you know, ultimately they, they saw a heartbeat and they were like, this is awesome. We can release you to your regular, back to your re regular OB. You don't need to come see us at the clinic anymore. And like, best of luck. See you later. Send us a picture when you have the baby. I was like, okay, cool. So, you know, a couple of weeks went by and then at my, uh, one of my OB scans, they said, oh, the gestational sac is too small. I'm like, I don't know what that means or what I'm supposed to do about it. Um, and so that apparently does carry quite a high miscarriage risk. Um, and so the same thing sort of started to happen. They were like, listen, we need to follow you with scans for another couple of weeks and see the growth here. So the same thing happened. I was like, is this going to be okay? We didn't really know. They scanned another couple of times and they said, 
you know, it's still small, but it grew, baby grew. This, you know, we think this is going to be all right. So once again, it was kind of like, okay, you know, go, go, we'll see you at your uh, anatomy scan and um, have fun. Um, and so I had a great time for six weeks. I was like, finally pregnant. We told people, um, we were excited. I was ecstatic. Um, I was very, I was very in shock for most of my first pregnancy. Um, and so this was like, I was just having the best time, um, being pregnant and so just so excited. Um, and then, uh, one night in the middle of the night, I woke up from dead asleep because I felt a popping sensation and I was covered in fluid. And my water never broke with my first. Um, I think it broke after I got to the hospital. So <laughs> it was, uh, I, I hadn't, I didn't even feel it at that point. Um, but I knew for a fact my water had broken. I was, there was nothing else it could possibly have been, but I was only 18 weeks pregnant that day. Um, and so I didn't understand what was going on. I really didn't. Um, but I thought it probably wasn't good. Um, first I thought it was, I was going to wake up and look and I was covered in blood. Thank God I wasn't. Um, but I still was like, this is not right. Um, but I didn't know, I didn't know anything about what that meant for, for us, me and, and my child. I didn't know he was a boy then. Um, so I drove myself to the hospital at like three in the morning and, um, they did a couple different tests and they were kind of coming back, um, as not positive for amniotic fluid. And I had thought to bring the shorts that I was sleeping in, in a Ziploc bag to the hospital. And I was like, I, I promise you something is weird here. And they took out the shorts and they were like, yeah, they, they, I remember them showing each other. They were like, these are saturated. Like, this is not a little like pregnant tinkle in the night. This is for real. So they tested that and that did come positive. And then they were like, okay, let's do one last test. And apparently there is an, another test that's um, very accurate. And I was like, why didn't you start with that test? <laughs> but whatever. Um, so they did it and they were like, yes, it's positive for fluid. Like your water's broken. Uh, we have to call the specialist and you kind of have to wait here until he's available, which was like 12 hours. Um, Cause now it was about four in the morning and he didn't really show, he didn't show up until late afternoon the next day. So, you know, we're sitting there not really knowing anything about, you know, no one was telling us anything. We couldn't find anything about it on the internet. Like, what is, is this? is this the end? Is this just a setback? Like what, what is this? Um, so it was obviously, uh, very troubling. And then, you know, when the specialist did come, um, you know, <laughs> you know, it's bad when like none of the doctors or nurses will look at you. And, uh, I just remember that so distinctly that they wouldn't look at me. And, um, so he was telling me, you know, that your water broke and unfortunately you're pre-viable and you'll probably go into labor within, you know, 48 to 72 hours and there's going to be nothing we can do. Um, and they were fully prepared to usher me straight down for a termination then and there um, because the literature says that the baby won't survive and that you'll be back 
in a number of hours um, in labor, or you'll it'll be so quick because the baby's so small at that point. But you know that again that there's nothing that they can do. It was well under the limit of viability. Um, and I was like, you know, you did a scan and he still has a heartbeat and he's still moving. I can feel him. So I'm just going to wait. And um, they were like, okay, you can. Um, they definitely thought we were crazy, um, but we sort of said, you know, we sort of said, this is what we're doing. And so um, they said, okay, you know, if you're still pregnant, come back in a couple of days for another scan. And I went home and at that point we had found, there are like two resources on the internet for this situation. And we had found them and they suggested um, bed rest as long uh, with, uh, along with various supplements. And um, so we started that and uh, yeah, so I remained pregnant for five weeks uh, at home on bed rest. Um, and that was a challenge that was more mentally challenging than anything, because I just felt like a ticking time bomb, like any minute I could go into labor and have this baby and I'm going to just have to hold it. I still didn't know. <laughs> um, and, you know, watch him pass because it's, it's a foregone conclusion. He can't, nothing can happen at this age. Um, and somehow <laughs> we made it to, and we started making plans. What's going to happen when we make it to viability. Um, and we requested a transfer to Yale when we made, we got admitted to Yale when we made it. I believe at 23 weeks, we went to Yale. Um, and they were like, okay, you made it to viability. They weren't particularly positive about that. Um, <laughs> they, they were like, he could still come like tomorrow, very, very, very young. And, and also no matter how far you get, we don't know the damage that was done from not having fluid for these couple, the, the main lung growing stage was occurring right around then you need fluid to grow your lungs. So they were like, you know, frankly, you could make it to 34 weeks and he could come out and not have enough lung function to breathe on his own ever. Um, it was just a total there's, there's nothing that can, um, that can look at that, uh, in utero, look at lung, assess lung function or growth. Um, so it was just another waiting game. Um, and so in the hospital, I did 10 more weeks and everyone was consistently surprised to see me. <laughs> the doctors would come back, uh, you know, be back on and be like, Hey, you're still here. Um, so, you know, I lived a lot of my, that whole fall in the hospital. Um, my husband, this was pre COVID. So my husband would bring my son to come see me, um, you know, on weekends. And, um, sometimes, you know, I'd have various friends and family come by and visit, but it was very, very bizarre, very surreal. Um, and, um, then from the lack of fluid, I developed a partial placental abruption. So I was gushing blood constantly. A lot of bodily functions going on because he, um, you, once you're ruptured, you constantly gush fluid, um, which is actually a good thing because your, your baby's continuing to get enough fluid to drink and process and urinate out 
Um, so he had something from somewhere that he was getting. Um, and, but obviously it's not, it's not very comfortable to be, um, you know, leaking and, and bleeding for heavily, heavily, uh, for weeks on end. Um, so yeah, at, at 10 weeks into the hospital stay, I was, I had just hit 31 weeks. Uh, so I had been ruptured for 13 weeks, um, without getting an infection, which is their, was their main concern. Um, and, um, I was feeling very strange and, um, I went to go try to go to the bathroom. Um, sometimes a full bladder would make me feel weird. And, um, the cord fell out. So my cord prolapsed. Um, and luckily th this is a known risk of not having fluid because you don't have the sort of the buoyancy to float the cord around. It's all kind of sitting there. And unfortunately it was in a position where it was between um, my cervix and his head. And I must've, I must've honestly started dilating a little bit and out it came. Um, so a cord prolapse is obviously like an obstetrical emergency where they're calling codes and everyone who is on the floor has to come. And he was, um, they took me in, into OR for a C-section. Um, and I was put under and he was out in like six minutes, um, end to end. So he, they let my husband in again, pre COVID it's, it's funny to talk about like other various people being in the hospital, but <laughs> they let, thankfully it was. So they let my husband in to see him and, um, you know, he was alive, um, and they whisked him up to the NICU and they put him on the ventilator and, um, Luckily, when I woke up, he was still alive. Uh, that was a big fear of mine that he, you know, going under general for them to do your C-section, you don't have like tons of control over what you're going to be <laughs> present for. So um, then I, I got to go up and see him and um, he was on the ventilator um, and just super tiny, obviously, and kind of not um, looking well, but alive. Um, and yeah, that was the beginning of, we were in the NICU for three months. Um, and luckily very, very slowly, um, <laughs> very infuriatingly slowly, he was able to do more breathing on his own. And so they knew that not new, but were somewhat confident that he would be able to like take it from there and, you know, eventually come off machines and that he would be able to survive that they, you know, th they were seeing steady improvements to lowering his, you know, moving him from like the one vent to the CPAP machine. And then from the CPAP to oxygen and, um, you know, he was making progress. So, um, I was, you know, commuting, <laughs> I was commuting the Yale and my old workplace that I hadn't been to since August uh, were, and it was now um, January, we're in the same town. So it was funny because I used to joke that I was just doing my commute because it was the same commute and I would park in the parking lot. It was right behind my work parking lot. I would park in the hospital parking lot and I would go there every day and then spend the day with Cameron and then come home and 
so that I could see my other son because I was finally home from the hospital and I didn't want to, um, I had already been like, you know, three months away from him. So I didn't want to, um, you know, continue being absent. So I would come home at the, <laughs> I was basically doing nine to five at the hospital and then come home and see my older one. And, um, we, yeah, we did that for three months and, um, we spent Thanksgiving there, Christmas, New Year's, Valentine's day. And then on February 18th, he finally came home with us. And, um, I, this was February 18th of 2020. And I was like, yay, I can't wait for everything to get back to normal. <laughs> and, um, spoiler alert, that did not happen. Um, we all, you know, pretty much locked down two weeks after that. Um, at least in my, in my area, uh, where I am, cause we're in the tri-state area. So, um, so yeah, so it was, um, I'm glad we got the bulk of our, we got all of our hospitals stay, mine and his, um, done before COVID. Um, but, uh, so that is something to be thankful for. Um, and then, um, you know, we were, we were staying at home and keeping him safe. And we're still kind of trying to do that to this day because he does have, um, lung disease, um, chronic lung disease, which is just, can happen a lot to premature children, but also, you know, with his added situation of being um, ruptured during the lung development um, phase. So, um, but you wouldn't know it to look at him. He like jumped to over 90th percentile and everything, and he's massive. Um, and he's really been quite healthy. And I think, you know, we have a time period where people weren't trying to visit us and everyone was being really diligent about hand-washing and health and masks and all this stuff because of COVID. So, you know, we kind of got a, a little bit of a boost of protection from, from that. Um, but yeah, he's home with us now and I get to work from home because of COVID. So that's another silver lining because I got to spend so much time with him. Um, I had almost, you know, almost all of my leave was gone by the time we brought him home from, um, the hospital. Um, so luckily when I started working, I could work from home and be with him. So for sharing all of that, I, um, I've said this before on episodes with, with women who don't get to take their baby home with them. And I just, I can't even imagine, you know, having to, to leave your babe, um, there for three months, but that's amazing that he's back with you now. And it sounds like he's really thriving. Yeah. I mean, he's absolutely the best case scenario of how this could have gone. Um, he, I mean, we, yeah, I, I sometimes say like, we were so incredibly unlucky for all those things to happen, but also we ended up sort of getting, then we got incredibly lucky because of how well he was able to like how he was, I, I mean, they put, they put these survival odds at like 5% or something. I mean, it's not, it was not good. It was an incredibly terrible, um, like prognosis, uh, honestly, and for him to come out of it without any, um, you know, serious disabilities, either mental or physical, um, you know, wasn't, 
again, it's not what the literature says is going to happen. Um, and so, you know, luckily we were in the best place, um, you know, at Yale and, um, they have not only for, for me in maternal special care, but obviously in the NICU, um, they have like wonderful people there and, um, yeah, he's, it, it obviously it was, it's so bizarre to, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, not, not being able to have him with me, especially as a newborn. And, um, you know, we did try to nurse again and eventually we made it happen. Um, but there were a lot of barriers to that and it felt like really insurmountable at times, to be honest with you, but I, I didn't give up, you know, I was constantly plugged into like a hospital grade pump four months on end. And, you know, for most of those months, he couldn't even, um, like eat, you know, he had to be given food in the tube and, um, it was a long road to getting him to be able to like, even really understand nursing. And, um, uh, eventually he finally took to it, which was awesome. Cause I, with all the things that he went through, I just thought he could use like the added, um, you know, boost that you get from, from breast milk. Sometimes breast milk knows how to help and <laughs> how to, uh, you know, what your baby needs. So, mm -hmm. um, I was like, if I can have a sort of like, um, uh, you know, natural kind of, um, <laughs> food filling in the blanks of what he might need nutritionally. Um, and so we got, we got him nursing. He nursed, I think I nursed him longer than my first. Um, but yeah, he, um, like I said, once we got him home, he, uh, like skyrocketed into the 90 something percentile and <laughs> he's been there ever since. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Yeah. He's, I, I couldn't believe again, you know, he was like our last embryo and, you know, just constantly we had to get scanned like twice a week, every week for a long time after he ruptured. And I was just like, I feel him moving around. I'm still leaking fluid. So he's making fluid and his heart is fine. I'm going to let him like, this is now I'm going to do everything I can to protect him. And if he doesn't make it, that's, you know, I have to accept that. But, um, he just felt like he, I just felt like he was going to be okay. Um, I didn't, I didn't really like listen to them when they were telling me and I'm not one, you know, to usually be, you know, not listening to my medical team. Um, but you know, they, every week I saw them for the first five weeks, they would say, are you sh like, are you going to keep going with this pregnancy? And I said, yeah, I am. Um, again, if I come in here one day and he has no heartbeat and he has passed and this was too much for him. That's, that is what it is, but I'm not going to preemptively decide this. Um, because, um, what if that doesn't happen? <laughs> um, and it didn't. And so I think about that all the time. Um, and you know, it's hard when you're in that position because, of course you have to understand what the odds are. Um, but there aren't that great, um, tools to calculate those odds, um, with pre-viable 
uh, PPROM. It's so all over the place. So no one could look me in the face and say, oh, you know, it's a 10% chance this, and it's a 70% chance this, and it's all that stuff. It's a complete guessing game. Um, you know, so it's, that is very difficult to be in really a wait and see for that length of time. Um, but um, yeah, he's, he's so wonderful. I, I, he is just so happy. He ha he's seriously still to this day, incredibly determined and like so angry when he doesn't immediately get his way. And I'm like, this is what kept you alive because he's so, um, he's just so determined and um, very vocal about his wants and needs. And I just kind of joke, I'm like, oh, this is where you got that from. Um, yeah. Fighter from the beginning. Well, I think what's so, what's so interesting is, I mean, I don't want to talk smack about the medical community or anything like that, but I, I guess what I'm hearing you say is that, or what I'm thinking about um, around this is um, how we want control so badly of like the outcome of things um, that they were giving you the option of like, you can control this and terminate this pregnancy because it's un the, the not knowing is so uncomfortable, like the not knowing of what's going to happen, but you were allowing life to take the opportunity to either thrive or if, if that wasn't in the cards to then move on to something else. Um, but I just, I just think it's so beautiful that you followed your, I think what it is, is mother's intuition of like, I think this is something else though. You know, I, I don't need to hold on so tightly to my control that I want, I just want to know the outcome so badly that I'm going to decide, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I had my moments. <laughs> yeah. I definitely yelled I at the resident doctors, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, and like I said, I mean, the literature, they, they were pushing me to terminate because in their minds, there was no way this would happen. No yeah. way, but the literature's not that good. There's not that many studies on this. It's a rare thing to happen. It's a rare thing to be looked at. It's, they don't do a lot of studies on pregnant people. Generally speaking, there's just a real dearth of information on this at all. So the very limited information that there is tells them otherwise. And they just, what that's what they were going to do. Um, and, you know, it's really anecdotes, uh, anecdotally uh, seeing that babies have survived this and joining that Facebook group and watching and saying some of these people made it. Um, but that's not science. That's just Facebook. <laughs> um, so it's really, really a gamble. But um, yeah, I like to think it was, I mean, again, obviously we had to consider just about all of the most horrible things that you could ever have to think about what might happen to your baby. Um, but I just kind of thought that we could for some reason, and he did, he did it. That's amazing. I'm, I'm really just appreciative of, of you sharing your story today. And I'm, I'm so happy to hear that he's well and thriving. Um, so at this point, if you would like to share about where people can find you, um, 
on social media and um, sort of who might benefit from contacting you if they, if it's like they are going through this or um, know somebody that is um, and yeah. That. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I mean, again, I, I try to, this is rare and um, I try to, I feel like I'm a professional at it now. I'm a professional at um, pre-viable P-Prom. <laughs> so, um, you know, if anyone is going through it or personally, or you don't know how to help support someone that you know who might be going through it, um, I'm very happy for you to reach out. Um, the easiest way would be, I'm, I am on Facebook um, with my regular name, Molly, and then the last name is Schoener, S-C-H-O-E-N-E-R. And I'm more than happy to, to talk to you about, again, if you are going through it, you know, options and what you can do, or if you're supporting someone through it, um, you know, what things you can do to help that kind of thing. Yeah. And I'll, um, I'll link those in the show notes. So they'll, they'll be easy to find for people if you're interested. And uh, yeah. thank you again so much for being on today. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified of future episodes as they're released. You can also find us over on Facebook at the Womb Wisdom Community. And also you can find out more information about the offerings that I have at my business, Rosebud Wellness, on my website, rosebudwellness.com. I offer acupuncture and Arvigo abdominal massage sessions in person in Thousand Oaks, California, which is in the Los Angeles area. And I also offer virtual Yoni Steam consults, if that's something that's interesting to you. And also you can find uh, the Yoni Steam herb blends that I offer on the Rosebud Wellness shop at rosebudwellness.com shop. So thanks again for listening. Till next time.